Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Out of the Blue, the podcast that matches Glenn Close for Academy Award wins. I'm Jared Stormer of MazeandBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, also of MazeandBrew.com, my hetero life mate. Andy, you flourishing desert rose growing in alpine conditions. How the hell are you, my friend? We are a day closer to football, and I'm a day closer to being happy again. How are you, sir? The exact same. With every passing minute, uh, I chomp at my fingernails and watch hype videos until I need to bang my head against something hard. So it's poor for my health, but uh, the excitement is growing with every passing minute. We're uh, we're in camp now. Haven't heard a damn thing from camp, but that doesn't you know stop me from getting excited. Rewatching some of last year's games, you know, reading all your articles, all the great content we got going on at Maze and Brew. So yeah, it's it's that time. It's excitement time. Yeah, it's it's weird because we got so excited for the beginning of August, like we're gonna get all this news. We get a little thing from Gaddis, but nothing else. And it's been quiet, but also like kind of comforting. Like I feel like when the hype gets spewed too much from the from the own mouths in Ann Arbor, it makes me more nervous. So I'm kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm buying into this quieted approach. Maybe we'll just come out with five receivers, sets, first game of the year, and I'll be happy. Oh, if it's anything but that. If it's a run with Ben Mason up the middle, as much as I love Ben Mason, I'm going to lose my mind. Okay, if it's a run with Ben Mason, I'll be okay. But if it's a run with True Wilson and it's like a like a 42 counter or something, I'm done. I'm just over it. <laughs> You're calling the season right there? Not watching. I'm calling it done. No, I can't do any more of this. I don't care if it's Middle Tennessee. I don't care if he breaks it for 10 yards. Over with. Even if the rest of the game they don't run another play to True Wilson? I never said I wouldn't come back. 
exactly. You'll, <laughs> you'll be back. You always come back. Just like at the end of last season, um, it kind of matches what we were saying at the end of last season. Is like we're not coming in with this season with the kind of expectations we had last year. Uh, it was just too crushing. 2016 was was too crushing. Uh, plus, it just feels better to keep expectations a little low and keep your name out of the media's mouth because. I don't know when people are talking about you there's target there's a target on your back i mean there will be by the time the season gets rolling anyway but for now i think it's nice that things are nice and quiet yeah it's good it kind of lets you build the anticipation up in your mind watch some hype videos listen to our elegant breakdowns of the stuff and just kind of formulate your own hype elegance not strong enough word but we'll take it we'll take that adjective for now <laughs> but uh yeah, uh, and I'm with you, man. Definitely starting to get there. Uh, a lot of the rankings are, are starting to come out. A pretty significant one came out yesterday or the day before, the Amway Coaches Poll. Um, and that one has Michigan, where a lot of these other ones uh, have had us. We've been in the 6 to 10 range. Um, but the top 10 from Amway is Clemson, Bama, Georgia at 3, Oklahoma 4, Ohio State at 5. Interesting. LSU at 6, Michigan at 7. Florida at eight, Notre Dame ten, Texas or Notre Dame nine, Texas ten. Uh, what do you think about that for Michigan and the top ten in general? Uh, top ten in general, except for uh, maybe Ohio State being a little overvalued. Um, I'm really okay with. I think Texas is poised to have a good season. Notre Dame, Florida, everybody else there seems just about right. I mean, you could pick nits and split hairs here and there. Um, maybe shift it up a little bit and drop Ohio State down to maybe the 10 range, 8, eight 9, 10. I feel more appropriate. But um, as Michigan hasn't beaten them in nearly a decade, I can't, you know, argue with it too much. Yeah, that's where I'm at here. I look at uh, some of the people in that top 10, and two of the top 10 beat us last year, uh, or three of the top 10 did, but two of them are behind us in Florida and Notre Dame. I'd be okay with putting both of them ahead of Michigan if, Michigan if you're going to put Ohio State ahead of Michigan. They did both beat us last year. Um, granted, this takes into account returning talent, um, you know, some coordinator changes. It takes into account a lot, but the fact of the matter is we played all three of those teams. All three of them beat us. I'm okay with Michigan at seven, but, yeah, you probably got to put the teams that did beat us last year ahead of us. I mean, so I'd, I'd be all right with that. But, yeah, it is kind of nitpicking. For the most part, I don't have any major problems. Um, yeah, bottom line is preseason polls are stupid and they shouldn't be out until after week four, but you know, that's neither here nor there. Well, we need something to talk about. It's August and we haven't heard anything from camp. Content. Content, my dear friend, content. We'll find it. We'll find it in the middle of the damn desert. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's really no point to do these preseason polls other than it gives you kind of an idea of what they think these teams are going to be. Um, looking at the rest of the, the list is nothing super surprising other than Michigan will play a lot of ranked opponents this year, but we're used to that. Yeah, it's it's always a fun exercise <laughs> just go back and look at preseason polls and how they play out towards the end of the year. Um, always like the top like one to three, I just want to speculate and say it's normally about the same because it's easy to say Clemson and Alabama are going to be good every season. And then maybe three and four kind of fluctuate. And uh, good luck ever guessing 11 to 20 because nobody knows. Right. But it's always fun to see where people think you're going to finish or think you're going to be. Yeah. That being said, I'm hoping Michigan finishes a lot higher than seven. But no problem with putting them there. There's just not that many quality teams you can put ahead of them. That's kind of part of it. Um, some of the teams in that top ten you could maybe move around. And Texas A&M's got a lot of talent. But, yeah, there's no point getting any further into that. Moving on. Unless you have any other thoughts. 
None, sir. I mean, any, anywhere you see Michigan from 7 to even 12, I'm not going to dispute you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be all right with anything in there. Uh, so we uh, we were off last week due to technical difficulties, so we're doing a double pod tonight. But we have some older news that I definitely want to touch on, and that's uh, when Michigan landed four-star safety R.J. Moten to now go with, listen to the safety depth chart next year, Jordan Morant, R.J. Moten, Dax Hill, and now Makari Page. So you get Moten and Makari Page. Uh, he was actually, it was Page was the, the most recent one. Uh, that is the most loaded I've ever seen the safety depth chart since I've been watching Michigan. Um, and a position that hasn't been super exciting is about to be a really, really exciting uh, position group just filled with talent. Yeah, I can't believe all of this talent back there. I can't imagine all of them are going to play safety positions. There's only two available. It may kick some out the corner, some to Viper. That's what it really feels like, especially with Khalid Hudson and Glasgow moving out. Um, the kind of confusion surrounding where Michael Barrett's going to end up. So uh, don't be surprised if one of them makes the move there. But this is a lot of athleticism headed to the back of the defense. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and I couldn't agree more with uh, your first point there that someone's going to have to move and they've probably had a discussion with these guys that yeah we're going to try you out at corner maybe viper as well um as far as being built like a viper i don't know uh, maybe the morant kid could do that and maybe makari page could do corner i mean but these are athletes there's a good chance that that they could play any position back there uh you know nickel viper safety um, and, and be fine with it. And the coaches know what they're, they're seeing with these guys. They've had a pretty good track record with guys in the secondary. But I've just never seen this much talent at one time at such a position group where, like you said, there's only two spots. Yeah, it's going to be uber competitive back there. And um, we're used to seeing this with positions like receiver. Yeah. It really comes to mind recently where, you know, there's only a couple spots out there. And Quarterback. Fall on the wayside. Yeah. And uh, so this is interesting. I – I'm not going to hate on them bringing a plethora of talent to Ann Arbor. I'm going to say, lots too many safeties. No, you want to have an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything like that. Whereas with quarterbacks, there's only one of them on the field, and you can't really move a quarterback. Like, yeah, hey, you know what, we're going to try this guy at uh, offensive tackle. It worked with Gentry, but I think that was the plan from the get-go, kind of, when, when Harbaugh came to town. I think so as well, and um, you can just kind of see that trajectory with like taller quarterbacks moving to, like, a tight end and just adding on some weight. Um, but this is going to be interesting. These guys playing high school safety, I'm not familiar with like their exact measurements right now and what they plan to do with them, but it wouldn't surprise me to see them play two or three of these guys at the same time across you know, corner, nickel corner, viper, and safety. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll see something like that. And Dax Hill's going to get a leg up. He's coming in this year um, with every opportunity to play a lot of snaps, even if he doesn't start. Dax Hill's going to play a lot of football for us this year, I imagine. So he'll have the leg up when these guys get to campus. But uh, something we'll be watching and something that really excites me. I'm a defensive guy and a secondary guy, so this whew, this boils my blood. <laughs> this gets you ready for the season. This is the news you needed. This is the news that I needed, yeah, especially since uh, the next talking point is that there really isn't any talking points from camp. Um, you know, like we were saying earlier, it's okay that there's not a lot of conversation around the program, but for us fans, would you like a little more information? Just like one nugget, just, just let it slip that Luigi Valen is unblockable. Just, I would love that. It would, it would sate me for a couple weeks. 
As long as any player but Luigi Valenz, I've heard he's unblockable for the last two seasons, yeah. and he's yet to make a tackle. So, <laughs> anybody else? But of course, I want to hear something. You know, I just try to like coerce myself into believing that this is good. That you know, I don't have to hear anything. Of course, I want to hear all the news. I want to know everything. I want to know how the season's going to finish. But it is what it is. But please, you know, we'll, we'll get something. We'll get something right. spoon fed to us, and we're just going to you know snort it right up. Oh, and yeah. we're going to be clamoring 15 and 0 like we already have. Yeah. Just a little louder. Yeah. So, uh, you yeah, know a us. little bit more wouldn't hurt. You know us very well. As soon as they say one thing, like, Eric All caught a ball today, we're going to be like, national champs. That's it. <laughs> there was an article on uh, Michigan's website, their athletics website, about Jordan Glasgow's hair. Like, it was about, like, his play and his hair. And I really thought, like, one of us wrote that. I'm like... Hold on, Mike. They <laughs> listen to the pod? <laughs> you had to double check. You're like, did I get drunk and write an article? Yeah, that's what I thought. Did I like, submit this to the university? I mean, thank you, and, and, and hats off to them. Great article, by the way. Oh, yeah, well, I'm Talking gonna, about hair, you can't go wrong. Well, I'm going to need to read that. Did they mention Sammy Hagar? Because that's what I always think of when I think of Jordan Glasgow and his hair bouncing out the back. Like he's on a way to a, like a margarita party. I could see that, except like... It seems like if Sammy Hagar's a little more jacked. Sure, yeah. Sammy Hagar, I don't think, has ever been in the kind of shape that Jordan Glasgow's in. (laughs) (laughs) If he was, now that's the Sammy Hagar I want to see. That is a, yeah, that is the Sammy Hagar. Man, not only will he drink you under the table, but afterwards he will kick your ass and take your girl. Kick your ass and take your table. (laughs) Take your table and your girl. Sammy Hagar's already taken your girl. He doesn't need to be This is a pro-Sammy Hagar podcast. Apparently. (laughs) We, we, We never really discussed it before now. Um, all right, well, uh, well, moving on, uh, we're going to keep going with our preview. Like I said, we missed last week due to technical difficulties. That one's on me and the good people at uh, Apple Care. But uh, we still got to touch on Notre Dame as we're moving through our season preview. So tonight we're going to break down both Notre Dame and Maryland. Um, so we're going to get right into that. No further ado, Notre Dame. This is another big one, just seemingly big game after big game. Uh, next season, I mean, somehow an easier schedule than we faced last year, it seems, because this one's at home. Uh, Halloween weekend, homecoming. <laughs> I mean, that's all I got to say about that. Like the the advantage changes just because of that. Probably going to be at night. Do we know yet for sure if it's at night? It's not announced, but um, all signs are pointing, especially when the schedule lines up, this is going to be a night game. And, I mean, you've seen what's happened there at night. It's a special, special environment. I've been to one of them, the Devin Gardner game. Wish I would have been there for the Denard Robinson heroics. But uh, some of the, the best games that have ever been played have been recently and under the lights. It's a special, special atmosphere, and uh, it'll be much more challenging on Notre Dame. That being said, this is a very, very good team coming off a of bye. Um, and Brian Kelly's got him rolling now. Like, I would say this program is very set. He's kind of gotten comfortable there, and they're well-recruited. So, yeah, let's get into it, man. What do you want to talk about as far as Notre Dame? Um, Notre Dame is, is scary. Like, they're a really good team. They have a lot of similarities to Michigan, bringing back their quarterback, um, replacing some pieces on defense, some question marks out there that uh, the media and fans at large don't know that much about just because they haven't seen it. But, of course, when we tell people about, oh, watch out for, uh, you know, uh, Pay or something like that, they're like, oh, yeah, that guy who played a couple times? Yeah, it's like, oh, he's really good, though. Yeah. You say that. And that's a lot of things with Notre Dame's defense as well is they're replacing people. Um, this team was really good last year, went undefeated, lost to Clemson 30-3. to Actually a smaller deficit than Alabama lost by. I just want to point that out. So, uh, no. And it's already crazy that Brian Kelly's been there for a decade. That is crazy. I didn't know that until you said that to me the other day. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, you think back, he's, he had another playoff or a national championship appearance with Manti Teo and his non-existing yep. girlfriend back when that was a thing. That was the meme of the time. So, yeah, that was the meme. That's how long Brian Kelly's been there. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's been some time, but yeah, you don't really think about it. Last year's team was one of his best, uh, especially on offense, 37.2 points per game, um, which was, and that was over the final nine regular season games. And uh, they put Ian Book in pretty early in the season and really took the reins there. Ian Book's going to play on Sundays, in my opinion. Uh, went back and watched quite a bit of tape on him. Well, basically just highlight tapes. But I like what I saw. Uh, we saw we didn't see him, actually, in, in the, when we played him. It was all the other guy whose name I've already forgotten, the running quarterback. Brandon Wimbush. Wimbush, yes, correct. It was Wimbush. Um, and then after that, they got better with Ian Book and really started to crank up the juice offensively. Um, they have to replace Miles Boykin. Not easily done. Boykin was a beast, but they've got some guys ready to step up. Kind of like you said, how Michigan, like we've got guys waiting in the wings. At receiver, we've um, we have a, a an embarrassment of riches, but uh, at other positions, we got guys waiting to come up that within the program we know are going to be solid, and they feel pretty good about their receiving core. So I don't know, man. Ian Book could put up some numbers on this uh, on our you know questionable secondary. Yeah, he could. I mean, um, I'm really thankful this game is later in the season, yeah. not week one, because uh, I'd be very scared. Um, as many questions as Michigan has um, regarding the secondary, Notre Dame has more in their front seven this year, replacing some key defensive linemen, uh, replacing some key linebackers. I mean, there's just a lot of questions surrounding both teams, and we're going to learn a lot about Notre Dame as they match up with Georgia in week four of the season. So, I mean – their third game, they had a bye week their second week, but they go right in at Athens. So probably going to be game day, a big environment, a big moment for them. Uh, but what Notre Dame did last year that really, I mean, just set the tone for their season were two things. Uh, their first quarter scoring, they outscored opponents 115-33. to uh, Us as Michigan fans remember that they put it on us early and Michigan just couldn't climb out of the hole. Uh, kind of a trend of the Harbaugh era on the road. And secondly were the field goals. Notre Dame converted 18 of 22, and opponents were 14 of 25 against them. So, I mean, they were just taking points when they were presented and not screwing up, and the opponents were screwing up and falling behind early. Yeah, that sounds about right, and good call about uh, performances in the Harbaugh era. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I'll get to the defense here in a minute. I just wanted to touch on one more thing on the offense. Um, the offensive line uh, brings back most of their uh, returning starters, so once again, very similar to Michigan. They've got some studs on their offensive line. so um, And like you said about Georgia, to go back on that point, that's a game that every Michigan fan should be watching because you're going to know a lot about them. Um, and if they go in and play really well against Georgia, which I expect them to do, um, at least for a couple quarters, Georgia is also very, very talented. Um, but that, that should tell you that we're going to get a, a fight in Ann Arbor for that game, which uh, is kind of the way I'm leaning towards right now. I mean, um, I said off-air with you before, I think whoever wins the Michigan-Notre Dame game is just in the driver's seat to make the playoff as maybe a three or a four, assuming Alabama and Clemson just rolled the table. Uh, even without Dexter, uh, Dexter Williams running back last year, even without Dexter Williams, Jafar Armstrong is looking like a very solid player back there. Uh, with this defensive line, the way they've churned out talent to the NFL, I mean, just Quentin Nelson, Mike Mc, I always mess up his last name, McGilchney, McGilchney. Oh, McGilchney, I think, yeah. Yeah, definitely a classic Notre Dame lineman. I mean, they are just churning them out. Um, this is going to be a dogfight. I mean, this is not going to be a blowout. Or 
I know Michigan wants their revenge, and I'm really glad this is at home and later in the season. But um, you can flip a coin almost Yeah, at this game. I think it's that close. Yeah, it is looking that way. Um, and you, you kind of mentioned their losses on defense. I mean, they lose Julian Love, uh, Jerry Tillery, Drew, Drew Tranquil. Um, but they've got some guys. Julian Okwara on the defensive end is going to be a problem. Um, they're – you know, their version of Mason Brew said that he's the most talented player on their team. So the fans and the people that are watching it, they seem pretty set on this guy at defensive end. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch. So they've got guys coming in on defense, but like you said, replacing a lot. Glad this is later in the season. Um, our defense is going to have some time, especially in the back end, to gel. Um, and Ian Book, like while very accurate, um, not necessarily a running quarterback, which has given us some problems in the past, but he does that a lot around the goal line. So something you got to keep an eye on. Um, but yeah, I mean, if our if our secondary can gel at this point in the season, I'll feel a lot better going into this. Um, and worth noting, you were talking about their uh, field goals; they lose their kicker and their punter. Uh, Justin Yoon last was the kicker for four years, I think. Extremely consistent for them. So, yeah, they have to replace him and their punter. And uh, early reports out of this was spring ball, but they were saying they're pretty inconsistent through the spring. So that could be something, especially if this is a dogfight like we're both kind of leaning towards. Yeah, close game kind of comes in a field goal. You don't feel as locked in as they're going to hit it this time, especially on the road. They also lose Tavion Coney, their star linebacker from last year, who in the Michigan game had 10 tackles. Jeez. I mean, it was just all over the field. So he's gone on top of Jerry Tillery, as you touched on. And Tillery last year had four ta- or four total tackles, two sacks, and two tackles for yeah, loss. Yeah, he was a problem this in was, that game. Yeah, this was the Runyon got beat all over the field type of game. Yeah. So um, our offensive line will definitely be out for revenge. And if we learned anything last year from the revenge tour, this team really responds well to the challenge of coming back the season after being punched in the mouth. Yeah, I think that could play a factor, too. If this team comes in angry, feeding off the energy of the big house, we could get up early. Um, and now that energy never really lasts for an entire game. But if you like come out and really punch them in the mouth and get up three scores, I mean, we might just be able to ride that, honestly. Um, so it'll be there'll be a lot of factors here. Um you know, Harbaugh's going to have to coach a really great game. Gaddis is going to have to let it loose and try and put it on early because I think they're going to score. Uh, I think that this will probably be a back-and-forth absolute classic under the lights. I may have to take out a mortgage on my home that I don't own, but I'll, I'll <laughs> maybe take a loan, sell a, a kidney because uh, I need to go to this game. This is going to be an electric one. Um, yeah, man, any final thoughts before we get predictions? No, nah, it's prediction time, baby. Let's do it. Give me yours first. All right, uh, so I think that, yeah, we might come in and punch them in the mouth, but I see them responding. I could see this being something like 17-14 at the half could go either way, uh, but I think we have just enough in the tank. The anger factor, um, I like our roster a little bit more than theirs. It's close, but I like Shea Patterson at home in this environment. I think we'll get it done here for the revenge tour, but it's going to be tight. I'm going to say something like 35-32 Michigan. Players of the game. Yeah, players of the game. Give me DPJ on offense. This seems like a DPJ game. And uh, on defense, on defense, give me my boy Khalid Hudson. I'm going with the Stars. I like it. 35-32 at home. Another kind of under-the-lights classic back-and-forth affair. Michigan puts it away with maybe a late score, late field goal, something something like like that. Yeah, that's what I'm feeling. 
I like that a lot. Um, I'm going to go a little lower scoring. I'm going to go uh, 24-23 Michigan. That's like weird. I said, it's, I had it as a coin flip. I think it's going to be super close. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see Michigan get ahead like 17-7 and then watch Notre Dame add some field goals and get real close late. Uh, my players of the game, I'm going to go with John Runyon. I think he has to have the bounce back game. Love it. And uh, defensively, um, I'm going to go with some. I'm going to go with Levert Hill because once again, the secondary has to play a factor for him yeah. to slow down Ian Book. Because uh, I think Michigan's front seven can hold their own at least kind of stalemate in the line of scrimmage, but it's really going to come down to that secondary and what they can do with Book. And Brian Kelly can cause some problems. Like he mean he may be an unlikable asshole at times, uh, all the time, but he can coach. He's been the two. One playoff and one national championship game. Not many coaches can say that. Yeah, absolutely. He's definitely a winner. And going along with the secondary, the pass rush. If Dana and those guys are hitting home, that makes it easier on the back end. Shake up Ian Book a little bit. Hit that man like you couldn't hit Dwayne Haskins. Change up the complexity of that a little bit. Makes life easier on Lavert Hill, Thomas, Vincent Gray, Dax Hill, those fellas. Yeah, the, we always say the best pass defense is a pass rush. That's how everything starts, and that's why our secondary has been able to like cover up some holes at times because pass rush has been so good. Yeah. So hopefully Don Brown has found an adjustment where you don't have to sell out on blitzes and just leave out cover zero. Exactly, exactly. And I'm also calling it Josh Metellus has a pick in this game. Josh Metellus has a pick on the record. I like that. On uh, the record. He always seems to come up with a timely one. The exactly. SMU one always comes to mind. Yeah, that's why I'm feeling it for that game. Tight game at home, playing for the energy. You know he shows up in the big games when it matters. But he does, especially last season when he went from like one of our most hated players in 2017 to one of our favorites in 2018. Yeah, he did that pretty quickly, too. <laughs> it took what, one hit in Notre Dame, like, oh, oh yeah, I'm there. Yeah, yeah, that was it. And then the, the pick six to seal it. Uh, I forget which game that was. Uh, I don't know. It's just they all kind of run together. But this game definitely has the feel of a tighter, um, like, Wisconsin-Penn State game from last year where they were both big atmospheres, big moments, and Michigan just kind of wiped the floor with them. This one just feels like it's going to be of that mold, but it's just going to be a close game. I agree with you, man. But uh, that being said, uh, we're going to take a quick break, come back, breaking down Maryland, and then our entertainment segment tonight couldn't be more excited. We're talking about one of the most – majestic creatures to ever live and no it's not andy or myself it is kurt russell we're gonna try and break down his just litany of great films uh all that and more after this okay welcome back to out of the blue we are continuing our breakdown of this season's opponents after we get notre dame at home we travel to maryland to take on the terrapins this will be a new look maryland team after the disgraceful exit of dj durkin and the brief tenure of matt canada so once again they're changing things up but the program's recruited surprisingly well uh the last couple of years there's some talent there there's some transfer talent um, and maryland's always kind of like a fringe bowl team that you think could kind of upset you if you aren't careful so it could be a trap game after notre dame but uh that being said andy let's get into it here uh what do you think about this maryland team um, this Maryland team offensively is now going to be very similar to Michigan with what Josh Gaddis is bringing to the table. Because as we know, Mike Loxley, former Alabama offensive coordinator, is now the head coach. Um, all respect to Matt Canada last season and the job he did at Maryland by picking up the pieces and finishing 5-7 and seven there. Um, that's the hell of a coaching job after the like tragic death of Jordan McNair. 
uh, just really rallied the team. He had more wins than Nebraska last season, and he had to deal with all of that. So kudos to Matt Canada. I hope he gets a job again soon, but um, I digress. Mike Lossley steps in there. He has Josh Jackson, at quarterback, uh, Virginia Tech transfer, kind of look like Tarzan, play like Jane type of player. He has the build, the look, just not really the accuracy, and that's kind of the need at quarterback. Uh, running back Anthony McFarland is back. The kid is a flat-out burner, a stud. Watch out for him because if it's anything like previous years, they'll be going sideline to sideline trying to get him the ball in space because like Gaddis, Loxley likes to get his athletes out there and get him moving around. Speed and space, put the defense in compromised positions where they got to make decisions, put them under distress. So all the same principles that Gaddis. Uh, receiver Deshaun Jones is out for the season, as announced today with an injury. So that is a blow to them in their athletic in their athlete department. Um, and moving to the defense, they're transitioning from a 4-2-5 nickel base to a 3-4 because they were horrendous last year at stopping the run. And in the Big Ten, you run the football. And they're going to a 3-4 just to stop the run. And there's kind of less than the blow of teams just running the ball up the gut because Michigan could do that and not throw a pass and seemingly beat them at times. So this will be a good team, an improved team, as you said, a fringe bowl team, um, and one that Michigan can't overlook. Otherwise, they will get upset. Yeah, definitely a possibility of that. Talent-wise, there's a pretty large gap between us and them. Josh Jackson is a good quarterback, not a great quarterback. I like your comparison, so I won't attempt to beat it. <laughs> uh, that being said, though, uh, he's not that accurate. And Anthony McFarland, like you said, they can get him involved in the passing game. But accuracy at the quarterback position at Maryland's kind of been a bit of a problem. Now, granted, they went through one of the worst runs of quarterback injuries that I've seen ever at any one school in one given season uh, and still managed to look confident. So, yes, props there. And they still have some decent quarterback depth there. All athletes, but none of them really are going to kill you through the air. And Josh Jackson's kind of more lumbering. He's big. So, yeah, he's a threat to run, but I don't think he's a threat to really break one off and take it to the house. So you don't really have to worry about him there, and you don't necessarily – I mean, you need to respect him as a passer – but you probably don't need to fear him like you would fear even Shea Patterson or Ian Book. So that's something to watch. This will be a, uh, a much easier test for our secondary. But once again, you still need to stay alert. McFarland's a beast. You already touched on that. They'll have athletes. They've recruited that well. Um, under DJ Durkin, they were trying to be a defensive team, but it's always kind of been their offensive identity. Um, that, to me, has stuck, stood out when we play Maryland. So I look at more their offense to be the concern here and how our defense matches up against them. Uh, I think that our, um, our offense is going to put up points against their defense. They were atrocious last year. You hope at this point in the season we got Charbonnet and Turner going. True Wilson is still a quality back for it. Maybe, maybe somebody like Hassan Haskins has started to show up a little bit at this point. Later in the season, you're going to want to run the ball. You want to make these games just a little bit quicker. Uh, put your, your opponents away a little bit faster. If you can get some guys some rest, that's great. Uh, can't overlook them, but they're going to probably try and run the ball here. I mean, it might be cold in Maryland, too. This might be one where they try and run the ball. I could see that. Like you said, they're converting to a 3-4. I don't have a lot of faith in their defense at this point. I don't know. That's where I see it. Yeah. No, I mean, we're all, we're all on the exact same page. And what Josh Jackson is, he is like, if Cam Newton is Major League Baseball, Josh Jackson is like the lowest form of Minor League Baseball Cam Newton. 
He has the size. He's not that quite good of a runner, and he's not a good passer. But he has the frame, and people are going to draw comparisons if he has one or two good games. Uh, last season, though, if you remember against Maryland, Michigan was down 7-3 to three after the first quarter. Kind of a slow, foggy start. I might expect the same after the emotional high of the uh, Notre Dame game. But then after Michigan was down 7-3, to three, they went on to lead 27-7 to seven heading into the fourth quarter, and they ultimately won 42-21. Um, I expect it to kind of be that same way. Michigan goes down seven, maybe even ten, just kind of sloppy, a little emotionally hungover, digging back in. You get your ass chewed out on the sideline. You come back in. You wake up. You throw a 50-yard pass to Nico Collins. Things get rolling from there. You get a pick. You get a fumble. Um, I'll go ahead and give you my prediction, let you feed right into yours. I'm going to take Michigan 37-17. They score a little bit less. They uh, don't get this map give up as many garbage time points to Maryland. Um, I really think it's going to be a, a big Nico Collins game, so I'll give him as my player of the game. And defensively, I will take Dax Hill, mm. freshman, to make a play here and there. Um, I think this is a game, though, that, that they have to Michigan has to be ready. It's, it's poised to be an upset. Like on paper, flat out, you know, it should be in the cards. It should be a Michigan blowout. But um, football rarely goes chalk. So uh, I think it could be a little ugly in the beginning, but they get it done. But this is one they can't fall asleep at the wheel or Maryland could be up three scores quick. Yeah, absolutely. We see it the exact same way as we often do. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go with a little bit lower scoring, but I think it's going to be sloppy. The emotional hangover, it's a very real thing. Late in the season here, guys are kind of not on their, their freshest legs. But you also hope that we're able to run the ball extremely well against this team and just grind it out that way, even if maybe Shea Patterson's not having his best day. So I'm going to go something like uh, 24-13, maybe a little bit lower scoring, but also pretty tight and, you know, Michigan fans nervous in the first half, perhaps. I could see that. Uh, but also, uh, you know, I, was, I predicted that this Michigan defense statistically would be a top-five team, and I'm realizing in all these predictions I have opponents scoring a lot of points. So I need, to, <laughs> I need to start tempering that because this is Don Brown and this defense is going to be very good. Especially when you look at that defensive line, we can go 11 deep now that Julius Welshoff has put on like an additional human's weight to his so own body weight. now that he's the size of Aiden Hutchinson, yeah. add another Aiden Hutchinson except German. Yeah, except he's German. Try and yeah. stop that. <laughs> Trump card. Yeah. Um, this game kind of reminds me of... Uh, Michigan Indiana in 2016, where, which Michigan won 20 to 10 in an ugly snow game with John O'Corn. Yeah. Michigan was only was down seven to three at half before going on out outscored them 17 to three in the second half. Kind of sloppy. You're emotional. Things are coming together. Um, that game was a little bit later, but this is also uh, early November, right before a bye week. You're going to need the rest before Michigan State. So uh, expect it to be ugly. Just at this point. Just win, baby. Absolutely. And my players of the game, I'm going to go O-line. Uh, give me – I've already picked Ben Bredesen. Give me Runyon. Why don't you go with uh, – uh, Cesar Ruiz? <laughs> yeah, go with, go with Onwenu, who is listed at, what, like 6'2", like 350? I think he's 410 pounds. Yeah, yeah, that seems more plausible. <laughs> yeah, like, you're you know, right. 6'9", or five, or sorry, 5'2". Five, I'm going with Mike Amonu, who weighs more than everything that I have in my room combined. Mike Amonu is listed as 6'3", 350, and his face in this picture says so. <laughs> <laughs> On defense, I'm going to go with another massive human being. Let's go with Aiden Hutchinson. 
just to keep the uh, the trend of people that are abnormally large going. Yeah, um, by the way, listeners, if you want to see the size of this team, just Google 19, 2019 football roster and just look at, just search three, control F3, and look how many people are over 300 pounds. It's insane. Who on that list stood out to you? Uh, what's his name? Jalen Mayfield up to 319. That's pretty impressive. That's big. Uh, Carson Barnhart was over three bills. Uh, a lot of the freshmen were. Um, let me see what his exact one. Yeah, Carson Barnhart was 301. Chris Hinton, uh, isn't he like 6'5", 305? That is a monster yeah. man for a freshman. Trevor Keegan, also a freshman, 6'6", 316. Uh, Maisie Smith, 6'3", 305. Just 18-year-old men. <laughs> That's insanity. I wouldn't know what to do with a 305-pound man in front of me. Probably just quit. I, yeah, ask him where he gets his custom suits made. How <laughs> <laughs> was prom six weeks ago? Yeah, that's insane. That's what's scary. Yeah, it's it's ludicrous. Uh, all right, that being said, let's move into entertainment, shall we, my friend? Oh, shall we indeed, sir. This is a Kurt Russell Appreciation Podcast. As we near the end of the summer, our entertainment segments also near their off-season lifespan. And what better way to begin wrapping things up than with Kurt Russell? I, I couldn't think of a finer way. Um, no finer man, perhaps, in all of Hollywood. It's really up there with Kurt Russell and Harrison Ford as far as just the goat, as far as entertaining movies, take your pick. Tonight we're talking Kurt Russell. And the reason we wanted to, to do this pod was, A, because he deserves more than this podcast. He deserves a statue made of his own hair outside of, I don't know, maybe every public library in the United States. But we couldn't do that, so we wanted to talk about him. But he also has some of the most divisive movies as far as what the critics thought of that movie and then how beloved that movie later came to be. Um, so I'm, I don't know if you're a Rotten Tomatoes guy. Some people hate it. Some people love it. But if nothing else, it's a talking point, And that's where we got these rankings from. So we want to break down some of his biggest films and try and come up with a conclusive best Kurt Russell movie or at least the top three. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm not a Rotten Tomatoes guy per se. I think it's crap. But um, like you said, it's a talking point. Nothing that I like more than getting riled up over something stupid and pointless on the internet. Exactly. That's what we're here to do. Uh, we could have done the IMDb rankings, but it's all basically nonsense anyway. That being said... Are we, are, one question. Yeah. Are we ranking Kurt Russell movies, as in like quality of movie, or Kurt Russell in the movie? No, I don't think we can do that, because then that becomes pretty clear. Like, you're taking Wyatt Earp and Snake Plissken and... I, th I think that's a little more clear, but we're going to okay. try and just go best movies combination of both being a good movie and also having that kind of lovability, rewatchability um, that some movies like Overboard, which isn't necessarily a good movie, but extremely rewatchable and has really aged well. The remake we won't ever talk about. What remake? Exactly. <laughs> uh, do you want to lead us off? With, yeah. your with one of your choices. Yes, and it also should be mentioned, I have not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet. He is in that movie. Uh, it sounds like it's a wonderful movie. It's Quentin Tarantino. But we, we won't get into that here, especially since it's so recent. A lot of people haven't seen it. I'm going to start with one of my favorites that, while you wouldn't necessarily think it's a good movie, uh, universally loved by both critics and audience alike, 79 and 82 critic and audience score, Big Trouble in Little China. Just an absolutely off-the-wall John Carpenter movie, basically about a trucker who's gambling in Little, Chi Little Asia, or whatever it's called. Uh, 
and uh, a series of events leads him to being involved with demon Shaolin monks and uh, yeah, ancient evils, the likes of which we've never seen. He loses his truck and spends the rest of the time navigating this ridiculous landscape trying to find his truck. It's brilliant, hilarious, ludicrous, stands the test of time. Christ, I miss the 80s. Oh, what a time. His hair, that outfit. No, great choice, and uh, I think what it excels in is just, like, how mindlessly entertaining it is. It, it is. is peak where you can just turn off the brain and watch, oh, man, it's big trouble. I can just turn this on for hours and just relax. Yeah, and I, and I do. Whenever it's on, I'll watch it, and I still laugh my ass off. Uh, little, little secret that every time Jack Burton, or, it, uh, yeah, that's his name, Jack Burton. Every time he asks he, about his truck, you have to take a drink. It's a lovely drinking game. You'll be quite intoxicated by the end. <laughs> Bring a trash can. You will need a wastebasket nearby. The man just wants his truck, I assure you. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, first one for me uh, is a movie that, um, while it has its flaws, I love it more because it has its flaws. Um, it's just the classic guy watch. It's up there with like rite of passage male films such as The Big Lebowski. And that is Tombstone, a movie in which they grew their own mustaches, for God's sakes. I mean, what more needs to be said? Sold. Um, <laughs> the production on this film was a disaster with different directors. Basically, Kurt Russell ended up directing the damn thing. Um, just a fantastic movie. They, they slapped Billy Bob Thornton for no reason. Um, but as much as Kurt Russell is amazing in this movie as a lead, Val Kilmer is a scene stealer and makes this. And you'd... You walk around for weeks just looking at people and looking at your friends and going, say when. Say and then you just when. keep going. <laughs> <laughs> You're a daisy if you do. Oh, man, just one of my favorites. Uh, just so much fun to watch. Anytime it's on TV, I can't go past it. Yeah, I watched it just the other day. I mean, you get uh, Sam Elliott and uh, Bill Paxton. I'm not a huge Bill Paxton guy, but you get him in there. Billy Bob Thornton just gets slapped around, and then Kurt Russell just takes the casino. I own this casino now. Just gangster moment after gangster moment. Uh, you're absolutely right. One of the all-time screen stealers is Doc Holliday in that role. I, I mean, it's it's so iconic in that drawl that he has and the sweat and just the... Oh, man, it's a perfect, perfect character for him. And uh, the movie itself is good. Uh, Tombstone 73 critics score 94 audience. So that gives you an insight kind of to what the audience thinks about this one and how it holds up to time. This is a beloved movie. Uh, this is a strong one to be in his top three, I would imagine, for both culturally appreciated and loved and also critically acclaimed. Yeah. Hands down. Oh, next pick. Uh, the next pick for me is another John Carpenter from the 80s. One of my favorite sci-fis still holds up. Uh, there is a prequel to it that recently came out. Also an excellent movie and ties into it perfectly. Um, it's a really complete story. That's the thing. Um, 84 critic, 92 as far as uh, the audience. But just perfect as far as the time that it came out and how great the special effects were. They still hold up. It's a guessing game. You never really quite know who is the creature who's already been in contact. So there's just this level of distrust and the claustrophobia of being trapped at that Arctic outpost station. You can't really get away even though there's all that wilderness out there and there's all that space. You're trapped there. It's just perfect. Kurt Russell is amazing. I, I could watch it a million times and I've probably seen it, I don't know, two dozen at least. Um, I have nothing more to add and that was beautiful um i do have one bit of trivia 
This movie has become part of a culture in Antarctica that it's a long-standing tradition in all British Antarctic research stations to watch The Thing as part of their midwinter feast and celebration held every June 21st. So, it is like Independence Day of Antarctica. That's amazing. Children should have a day off of school for that movie. Yeah, no more needs to be said. Um, Okay, excellent choice. Uh, Next one for me, being that it's a sports podcast, I'm going to go with a movie that um, seemed boring to me when I was younger, but as I got older I was like, oh my god, this movie is incredible. Uh, That is Miracle. The hockey scenes are fantastic. The way he captures the nuance of Herb Brooks and like the subdued nature of him is just brilliant. Uh, the whole film is just a fun ride. You get the Mike Ruzioni, Team USA kind of reveal where he's just grinding them into the ground. And you get to beat up some Russians at the end of the day. What more does any American want than that? It's literally the most American thing you could ever hope for. Yeah, that's pure Americana there. Just take a bite and chew on it for two hours and 15 minutes. Uh, I agree with you. Didn't really love it at first, but it has grown and grown on me. It's a great sports movie. And Kurt Russell nails nails Herb Brooks. I got nothing more to add. Go America. <laughs> yeah, we are a pro-America podcast. <laughs> if you didn't know that. <laughs> goes without All right, man, saying. Your, your last selection for Kurt Russell's almost Mount Rushmore. Oh, whoa, whoa. My last selection? Oh, I thought you were only doing three. Oh, well, we've got to try and narrow it down to three. Okay, all right, so we'll both have three nominees. Correct, correct, because there's at least two more I want to touch on. One, I don't need to touch on much because I've realized it's not a great movie, but that's Stargate. Um, Really panned by critics at the time, but the audience does enjoy it, and I enjoy campy sci-fi. It works for me. Um, You know, it's got uh, the guy that plays Ultron and Robert California, James Spader. He does great as the nerdy scientist. Um, it's pretty quotable, but Kurt Russell's character in this one, very, very vanilla. Uh, but the movie itself, I love it. Holds a special place in my heart. I've never seen Stargate. As most of us know, we went through our 90s movies, but I'm glad you ride so hard for it because it's become... Um, what was the movie you always bring up before Stargate? It's always... Oh, Tremors. Like, Tremors. Tremors, that's what it was. You'd always turn the conversation to Tremors, and now it's become Stargate, and I respect your persistence. Look, I ride hard for my movies, and that's that. But that's not my choice here. I'm going to take Bone Tomahawk, more recent movie. That was 2015. Uh, Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson, Matthew Fox in kind of a scene-stealing role about uh, just a, an old sheriff and his and his posse that he rallies to go rescue this woman. It's one of the best slow burns I've ever seen, a tremendous western um, and the fact that it's a slow burn makes the just epic, epic conclusion just hit all the harder. I wasn't right for five days after watching this. Um, this one, really loved by critics. Audiences, less so, which I understand because it's uncomfortable, but a, a really great, great movie. Highly recommend Bone Tomahawk. Hmm. Very interesting. I have not seen Bone Tomahawk. Didn't know it existed until uh, about ten minutes before this podcast. Matthew Fox, I've just thought after lost he kind of was as well um, <laughs> glad to see he's resurfaced floating around he's alive. there um, it's an interesting choice one that hasn't really quite had the time to marinate in the palate like some of the other ones have sure um i'm gonna go with one that really needs no explanation that it's just like when you think of kurt russell it's almost synonymous uh escape from new york yep. you could go with new york or los angeles but new york being the original um it's perfect uh <laughs> it's so much fun it's so silly it's so goofy uh his name is snake i mean what more needs to be said it's kurt russell his name is snake no 
not much more. I will say it doesn't age that well, but it's if you look at it as a comedy, yeah, it's hilarious. Oh, yeah, it ages really poorly, but it's so funny. And some of the lines are just like, I can't believe this happened. Yeah, no, that was a part of our history. Uh, I'll go with one that has more personal significance. It's probably not going to make the top three because it really is not that great of a movie. But Captain Ron from 1992, uh, my dad's named Ron, grew up on a boat. He went by Captain Ron fashioned himself uh, a young Kurt Russell. We won't get into that, but uh, Martin Short, one of my all-time like comedic icons in this, and then Kurt Russell is just throwing heat. He absolutely has great comedic timing, doesn't get to show it off that much, but this movie's just a ton of fun, doesn't take itself very seriously, um, and, and highly recommend, even though people might say it was a shitty movie. Give it a shot and, you know, and, and make your own opinion. It's a good family comedy. Folks come over, you want to put something on that pleases everybody. Just put on Captain Ron. You don't got to think much. It's not going to be some intellectually stimulating no. film. You're not going to put on a Requiem from a Dream with your family. So just put on Captain Ron. Exactly. All right, man. Um, you want to narrow this down? Well, we've got one that needs to be discussed, and then we can. And I know okay. you know it. Backdraft. Of course. We love drafts. We love <laughs> And I love Backdraft. It's one of my favorite drafts. It's a tremendous movie. It needs to be on this list. It needs to be considered because, honestly, it's one of the most accepted movies by both critics and audiences. It's right up there with Tombstone and holds the test of time. you got Robert De Niro in it, some great acting, minus the Baldwin. Uh, and I love Backdraft. Definitely in consideration for a top three. If, top five for sure. It definitely seems like a mathematical formula. You know, minus the Baldwin. <laughs> Yeah, subtract That's that how you equal a good movie. Yeah, no, there is mathematics to it. We could figure it out, but we don't have the time right now. Yeah, subtract this ball when add Alec. All right, we'll fix this one. Sorry, Billy. Yeah. Um, all right, so off. we'll see what the nominees are. Miracle, Big Trouble in Little China, Tombstone, The Thing, yep. Bone Tomahawk, Backdraft, Escape from New York, Captain Ron. Yeah, um, Hateful Eight almost doesn't feel like a Kurt Russell movie. It feels more like a Sam Jackson movie, but you could toss that in there. I object to that one. It's not really a Kurt Russell movie. No, it's a Tarantino movie. You know what I'm saying? It just doesn't really feel like a Kurt Russell movie. So I agree with that. That's why I didn't choose it. Uh, Do we want to throw in Overboard? It's It's not going to make the top three. It's not going to make it. It's a romantic comedy. I agree. All right, let's work with it. All right, uh, let's hear your submission here, and then I will rebuttal. Uh, I'm just going to go through an axe one. You tell me if you have an objection. All right. Bone Tomahawk, gone. Yeah, it's too recent and uh, hasn't had time to marinate, but give it time. It's an excellent movie, and he really gets a chance to showcase his acting chops. All right. Captain Ron, gone. Yeah, it's got to be. My sentimental attachment to it does not necessarily make a good movie. In fact, it probably makes it worse. (laughs) Top six right now. Escape from New York, Backdraft, The Thing, Tombstone, Big Trouble in Little China, Miracle. Um, You can go next. (laughs) I'm going to ask Miracle. While a great movie, it's not even the top five sports movies. Um, And yeah, it ages really well, but it just doesn't feel like it's his movie. It's more about the story. Kurt Russell just happens to be there. Oh, man. Now it's getting, now we're getting down to the nitty gritty here. You all right Um, with the axe, though? Can I ask that? Yep, get right, rid of it. It right. makes sense. You have a good argument. Um, all right. All right, can I... I'm going to lock one in. I'm going to lock in two, 
actually. Actually, I'll lock in one. All I'm right. going to lock in Tombstone in the top three. Yeah, that's locked. I figured that would end up, end up there. Yep. I All think right. everything about that movie, timeless nature of it, um, just Kurt Russell's legacy behind it, the way he is in the movie, is just everything we need. Yeah. And All honestly, right. uh, that scene of him crossing the river just declaring no while he fires the shotgun at that entire posse and basically wipes them all out. Give me a break. Yeah, that's all you need, Kurt Russell and a shotgun in a little stream to with his, add effect. With his own mustache, that hair blowing in the desert wind. Yeah. Great Sam Elliott in that movie, too. Oh, Sam Elliott's great in every damn thing he does, but he's particularly likable in that. He basically just plays himself in everything, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, except when he's backing out of the driveway and the star is born, and you see the tears in his eyes, and you just start crying yourself. Oh, my God. Why you got to do that to me right now, of all things? And then, but the other guy that rounds out that cast, Bill Paxton, in my opinion, is one of the worst actors that gets a lot of movie roles. <laughs> all right. I will not have Twister besmirched on this podcast. I'm not besmirching Twister. I'm besmirching Bill Paxton. Twister is glorious <laughs> despite him, but that supporting cast, <laughs> we're getting off topic. How do we get on Twister? Okay, so we have four left for two spots. Big Trouble in Little China, The Thing, Backdraft, Escape from New York. Ooh, this is going to get tough. I can axe Stargate. Did we? Yeah, yeah, that one's gone. Yeah, that's gone. Um, uh, over, yeah, take Overboard off the yeah, list. Yeah, Overboard's off the list. It was discussion. I probably would axe Escape from New York, but that's starting to get into my personal bias. To me, that doesn't hit as hard. I get why it was so good then, but they thought that was cool. Like, I don't think it's necessarily supposed to be that funny. I don't know. It, it, was it intended to be a comedy? Was it like Big Trouble in, in Little China? Or has it just aged so terribly that it's funny now? I don't know. What do you think's more iconic, though? Snake or Big Tru- or his character in Big Trouble? It's probably Snake, but to me, I take Big Trouble. I prefer the movie. I think it's a funnier role. It's definitely a comedy. doesn't take itself seriously in the slightest. So for me, I prefer Big Trouble in Little China. I'm sure a lot of people are going to go escape from New York, but I'm not, I'm not going to vote that. So that being said, if I'm locking one in, I'd like to lock in The Thing, top three. Okay, I, I'm with you on The Thing. I think my top three would be Tombstone, The Thing, and Escape from New York. That would be... Mine for Kurt Russell movies. Um, I can see your argument for Backdraft or Big Trouble, but uh, I think just Snake Poliskin is just, I mean, will forever live in film lore. Right, and I think that's what you're going on here, is the iconic nature of the character, not necessarily the movie, though. So we want to see, like, what are the top three movies, both as far as, like, being culturally appreciated and still having meaning or meaning, meaning that people still watch them and enjoy it. I, I mean, do people still go as Snake Plissken on Halloween? I, perhaps? I think Really old uh, people? Yeah, from the circles I dwell in, they do, but I'm also kind of a loser. Sure. Um, um, I think it's between Big Trouble and Escape from New York, then. Okay. I don't think backdraft in this conversation. So we're going to axe backdraft, which hurts. Yep. I know it does. I think that's... I get, I feel like that one's probably your favorite of those last three, but you're just kind of trying to put your bias aside. I am trying to put my bias aside, but that being said, to me, Big Trouble is still like a better movie than Escape from New York, but all right, I'll accept it. At least I'm not saying Escape from L.A. No, that's truly, truly awful. But so <laughs> is Escape from New York, just in a more charming way. Pretty much, but no, that's a... 
that's a fun conversation. I'd like to know what our listeners think is better, Big Trouble in Little China or Escape from New York. Right, or maybe we completely missed the mark and Miracle should be in there or something else. There's a lot of arguments to be made. And, I mean, Overboard, I have a lot of love for Overboard. It's uh, it, another personally meaning one. A, a lot of stuff with boats in those in those Kurt Russell movies. It, hit, it hits hard. Who doesn't want to be Kurt Russell on a boat? You are a true Navy man through and through. But I think this really just ties back to, like, uh, Kurt Russell's tie with John Carpenter in Escape from New York, The Thing, Big Trouble, Escape from L.A. I mean... Honestly, a more deadly pairing than Leo and Scorsese. It's maybe not Leo and De Niro, but a deadly pairing, Carpenter and and Russell. (laughs) Just bite your tongue. Please bite your (laughs) tongue. It's already out there. Look at the, the list. Just the sheer quantity. Look at the I'd like. I wish I could nominate They Live just because it's Roddy Piper and John Carpenter, and Roddy Piper is like uh, Kurt Russell light for half a year. Kurt Russell light, you get that out of here. Kurt Russell light is somebody like Alec Baldwin. Don't you disrespect Rowdy Roddy Piper in my presence, sir? This is a Kurt Russell <laughs> appreciation pod, sir. Rowdy Roddy Piper was never on the table. He was also never WWE champion, but that was another tragic scene. That's unfortunate. And another podcast altogether. (laughs) (laughs) Any closing thoughts? No, I just wish there could be more, and I wish Kurt Russell never aged, and we could just get unlimited movies with him. But his son is actually a pretty interesting uh, rising star in the acting community. He was great in Overlord, Black Mirror episode. Something to keep an eye on. He's not as handsome as Kurt Russell, but literally no one in history is. Yeah, I was like, few are. Um, he is very good in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I have seen it. Um, nice. He's only in the movie briefly, but um, it's Kurt Russell. I, don't, yeah. you, I mean, five minutes, two hours, I'll take any Kurt Russell I can get. If you want to know just how beautiful Kurt Russell is, in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, when he's explaining to his son how he traveled to all these planets and impregnated all these aliens, he doesn't take the form of other aliens. He just goes as Kurt Russell in that form, and every species mated with him. It's quite incredible and accurate, scientifically. <laughs> what, what a fact. It's so true. It's a fact. It's like meeting a, like a blue thing with tentacles and six mouths, and he's just Kurt Russell. Like, like, well, normally I don't, but goddamn Kurt Russell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. On that note, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, tune in next week. We are finally going to have our uh, guest podcaster on. Uh, very excited about that. Uh a lot of great content coming out, especially the closer we get. I know you got a bunch of articles coming out here soon. Yeah, I have uh, players with most approved coming soon, questions on the defensive line, and depth chart previews of receivers and running backs. Back oh, in the writing grind, so uh, mazeandbrew.com has got a lot of content coming this fall. So tune in. Season's coming quick. Oh, man, the season's coming quick. I can't wait to do a first reaction pod, man. Oh, we're going to, I mean, overreact out the wazoo. Hey, after Notre Dame last year, once I talked you off the ledge and you smoked a few cigarettes, we had a really good podcast. Yeah, did get me back into smoking cigarettes again. I'm really hoping that I can avoid that this season. <laughs> Michigan football 2019, please don't make me turn to cigarettes. <laughs> that is my plea. <laughs> that's all I ask this season, nothing else. Nothing more. All right, that's going to do it for us here on Out of the Blue. I'm Jared, that's Andy. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue. Thank you.